Welcome to No Wrong Answers Extra Credit. I'm Kyle Palmer. Teachers are great storytellers. There's something about the type of person the job attracts, smart, observant, most of all empathetic, that makes many teachers great at spinning a yarn. Go to any restaurant or bar near a school on a Friday afternoon, and you're bound to see or hear a group of teachers at a table full of margarita pitchers and beer bottles making each other laugh out loud about what happened in class that week. As we make pretty clear here at No Wrong Answers, I think, we aim to elevate teacher voice, give teachers the mic, literally. And we got a special chance to do that recently at an event hosted by the sponsor of this podcast, the Kauffman Foundation here in Kansas City. It was a gathering of Kansas City area teachers. The point of this event was the launch of a new initiative the Kauffman Foundation is starting called Teach Kansas City. It's meant to draw more people into the teaching profession in Kansas City. To learn more about that, you can go to kansascity.teach.org. My part in this event as host of No Wrong Answers was to do what I always try to do, hand the mic over to teachers telling stories. I had the pleasure of introducing two teachers who teach in Kansas City, both working with students who come from traditionally underserved neighborhoods in the city. Both these teachers chose to tell stories of their time working with their kids, stories of moments when they themselves had to use their voice to help their students find their own. The first teacher you'll hear is Kate McDowell. She's an ELL coach at a Kansas City charter school serving elementary and middle schoolers. So, In No Wrong Answers, Spirit of Giving Teachers the Mic, here's Kate McDowell. M didn't know all the words when she took her reading test last month, but she definitely knew the word run. She's one of the students that I coached as part of my Girls on the Run team last fall. And though she worked harder, ran faster, and showed more perseverance than anyone, she wasn't always easy to coach. She moved to the U.S. from Sudan in July after spending some time at a refugee camp in Kenya. She speaks Arabic, and I don't. As an ESL teacher, one of the hardest parts of my job is figuring out how to communicate with and form relationships with students that I can't really talk to, at least not at first. With M, we connected through running. When I told her class about starting a Girls on the Run team, she probably didn't understand much of what I said. But she definitely got one key point when I moved my hands back and forth and said, run. She followed me back to my desk, hands outstretched for an application, and we got her signed up for our team. Over the next few weeks, it seemed like she'd find me in the hallway almost every day. She'd be walking with her class or with her friends. She'd see me and she'd stop, just staring me till I noticed her, and she'd go like this. We run? Not today, I'd tell her. Practice starts in a couple weeks. She showed up for the first day of practice wearing traditional Islamic clothing, a long skirt that went all the way to her ankles, a hijab covering her head, neck, and shoulders. It was about 90 degrees that day, so I wasn't really feeling confident in how much running she'd actually be doing, especially because I found out later she was wearing shoes that were two and a half sizes too big. 
As our team gathered at the beginning of practice, we talked about teamwork and cooperation and what it meant to be a part of our team. And Em looked at me the whole time, but I was worried about her. Was she understanding what I was saying? Was she getting the gist of my message? Was she feeling nervous or left out? It wasn't till we actually started to run that she put all my fears to rest. As soon as we got to that track, she took off and didn't stop until the whistle blew at the end of practice. Other middle school girls had some complaints about their first time running track. <sighs> Coach McDowell, my legs hurt, I'm thirsty, it's hot outside. But we never heard anything negative from M. And though she couldn't communicate with me or with her teammates using her words, we found other ways to build our relationship. We would pantomime all the time. Are you thirsty? What's your goal today? Seven laps? Eight? Sometimes a girl on her team would teach her a word of the day and they'd run together spelling girl out loud or team. They'd point to different things they saw outside, sky, grass, track, to help teach her English while she ran. All of our teammates were so excited about the big metro-wide Kansas City 5K that would be held with girls on the run teams, girls on the run teams from across Kansas City. But a few days before, a translator found me and said M might not be able to participate. Her parents worked weekends, her older brother was dying to see her run, but he didn't have a car. I knew I had to get her to the race. So that's how I found myself driving down her very dark street very early on a Saturday morning. I could barely make out the house numbers, which weren't very well marked, and I started driving more and more slowly down her block, feeling really worried about knocking on the wrong door at 6.45 on a Saturday morning, when as soon as I pulled up in front of her house, she threw the front door open and came running down the driveway. Her brother said she'd been watching out the window, awake for hours. When we got to the race, though, she started to look a little intimidated. There were lots of girls there from hundreds of other teams, and most of them were dressed in leggings, running shoes, tank tops. And she started pulling on her skirt, which was bunching up at the waist, falling down around her ankles. As we walked to the starting line, I heard her say something to her brother in Arabic. He said something back. She said something else a little more forcefully. He said something back. And as the countdown started to begin the race, three, two, one, she pulled off her skirt, threw it behind her to the coaches, and took off in her leggings. She didn't stop until 3.1 miles later when she became the first person on our team to cross the finish line. When I crossed, several minutes later, she was waiting for me, holding up her medal, giving me a thumbs up. She wore her medal to school on Monday, too, and as soon as she saw me in the hall, she stopped, held it up, and smiled. I felt so proud of that medal, too, not just for what Em achieved, but also for myself. So many of our students are up against so much. They may have come from a war-torn country. They might not have much experience in a school. They have to learn a new language and catch up academically and face so many of the other challenges that come with living in poverty. As a teacher, 
It's my job to help them, but I worry sometimes about whether I'm really doing enough. I try as hard as I can, but sometimes it's hard to see whether you're really making a difference. I can't communicate with my students like M in the way that I want to. I just don't speak enough languages. I left a career as a journalist to become a teacher seven years ago, and it's the journeys and experiences I've shared with students like M that make me so grateful that I did. The opportunity to help her connect in such a positive way to, through, to school through something she loved and was already so good at is what keeps me going. It's the opportunities to do that for so many more students that makes me know that I'm in the career where I'm supposed to be. Thank you. That was Kate McDowell. She's still the running coach at her school and looking forward to next season. Now, here's Derek Wiggins, who teaches at a Kansas City public school, talking about a time he gave students voice in quite a different way. Man, Mr. Wiggins, I didn't get second choice again. See, this is the second time, third time, fourth time that a few of my students have come up to talk to me right after eating their lunch and telling me how they didn't get second choice that day. A few years ago, I had been wondering about what my role was as a teacher, not just as a teacher, but specifically as a teacher in Kansas City, as a teacher who stood in front of families and students who had a history and background of disenfranchisement. What was my role? What was my job to be their teacher? A few weeks later, after they had told me this issue had happened a few more times, I said, well, you know what? Let's do something about it. We're gonna learn something called advocacy, and you guys can learn how to solve this problem. Mr. Wiggins, could you do it for us? Could you talk to someone for us? No, but I can show you how to do it. The next few weeks, my students had talked to me about what they wanted to do and what they wanted to change. And I told them that the first step, the first thing you need to do, find out, is this just you? Or are there other people who feel this way? They said, well, there's some of the other third graders who, who said that they haven't been getting second choice. Okay, but what about the rest of the school? The first thing they did was create a survey and went around to the whole school and surveyed our whole school. They created questions to try to figure out, are you the only ones who feel this way? Or are this, is this issue of access one that is affecting other people? They came back about a week later after they had done their surveys and aggregated all their data and said, Mr. Wiggins, we found out that there's like 85% of our school who says they have this issue too. Cool. Well, will you go talk to the principal now? No. But I'll show you how you do that. So we found out who was going to be a stakeholder in this issue for us. The students decided that they wanted to get the principal, the vice principal, the student council, but also they wanted to get the PTA, all people who cared about this issue with them. And on the day that they had to present, they had all their letters and their feet were jittery. And they were nervous to talk, but they weren't scared. I knew that they weren't scared because the letters that they had written were bold. They spoke to the truth and they spoke about what they needed, but more importantly, they spoke about what they wanted to happen next. The truth is that this story isn't finished yet. I found out though that our principal is doing what he can to help make these changes and just two weeks back I found out that our superintendent is actually trying to create a program that's working on our lunches at school. But in truth, between you and me, this isn't about lunch. It's about our role as educators and how we help students and communities find voice. To be a teacher is to have power, a great power and a great responsibility. But that power isn't meant to be held, it's meant to be given away so that one day the voiceless will be able to find what's been taken. That was Derek Wiggins, who we should say was 
named Kansas City Public Schools Teacher of the Year last year. Thanks to him and thanks to Kate McDowell for sharing their stories about teaching. Thanks to the Kaufman Foundation for giving both Derek and Kate a forum to tell their stories. Again, you can learn more about the Kaufman Foundation's Teach Kansas City initiative at kansascity.teach.org. Like No Wrong Answers at Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Just search for the No Wrong Answers podcast by Fountain City Frequency. Find us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And once you find us, subscribe and leave us a review. It helps. There are no other podcasts like ours striving to give you a teacherly take on the world. If you've enjoyed what you've heard on this extra credit episode, subscribe, leave us a review, and keep the conversation going. See you next time. Thank you.